Brothers and sisters, let's turn to the gospel according to Luke. And because God is holy and infallible, and his word is uh, infallible, we'll turn and stand as we read God's holy word. Luke 6, starting at verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Let's pray together. Our glorious Father, our beloved Lord, We pray that you would work mightily in us and through us by means of this, your word. Your word is truth. And we pray that you would write the truths of Scripture upon our hearts and minds to help us not sin against you. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. What does it mean to have God's blessing? If you ask different people nowadays you might get different answers and it's kind of something you see around you see some t-shirts women wear these t-shirts it's not a men thing it's a it's a ladies thing or a girls thing it has the word blessed on it and usually it's in cursive print and it has something to do with being southern or something to do with uh, being a country girl or something a blessed southern girl Um, some people Uh, in other churches have a different idea of what it means to be blessed. I want to read a little quote from Eric Metaxas. Um, He wrote a book about miracles, and this is what he wrote. He said, Another version of the prosperity gospel, or name it and claim it teaching, has to do with finding a verse in the Bible and then claiming that verse. Proponents of this thinking believe that God must fulfill his promise to us in whatever verse we are claiming, because what God says in his word, the Bible is true. You might say to yourself, I am blessed. I am highly favored. You can go on and say all kinds of other things, and I'm going to be blessed and wealthy, or whatever it may be. You might find some particular verse. Um, that one's not in the Bible, by the way. Um, he goes on to write this. He says, What they're doing here is they're trying to force God to do what they want. That is an arrogance rather than a humility. God loves us, but we cannot demand things of him as though our faith is in charge rather than God. I thought it was very insightful. Um, Other churches might say that the idea of a blessed pastor and a blessed ministry is the pastor has his own personal jet. You think that would be a blessed ministry if I was able to afford my my own personal jet? From the Greek, uh, the word blessing um, can be also translated as happy. But 
just because someone's happy doesn't mean they're blessed in the sense of Scripture or in the, sin, in the sight of God. I, I know some, some people who are total unbelievers who smile and laugh, yet in the sense of Scripture, they're not happy. They're not the blessed ones of God in the end or will not be happy. Uh, a good definition for blessing or blessed is a state of well-being despite even bad circumstances. Because we find here, as we read in, in the text, there are some bad circumstances that we just read. But even despite bad circumstances, because of our faith and because of what we believe and because of our union with Christ, we can say we're still blessed. Um, going back a little bit of the, the context, in Luke 1, um, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. She was told that she would bear a son. And the angel Gabriel told her that the power of the Most High would overshadow her. And thereby she would conceive a holy child. And his name should be called Jesus. That he would be called the Son of God. Um, Mary visited uh, her relative Elizabeth. And after visiting her relative Elizabeth, who was already six months pregnant, and I believe Mary was a lot less far along as, as that. But um, when they met together, the baby John, John the Baptist, leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. And that led Mary to then praise God. And she said something that I would want to tell you that it's, it's, it's about a theme that I never really mentioned too much before, but it's going to start coming up a lot more now in Luke's Gospel. It's this matter of a theme of role reversal. And he, she said this when she praised God. This is, you can go back in Luke 1, starting in verse 52. Mary says that he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. You remember later on, um, we have Mary and Joseph along with the baby Jesus in the temple, and he's getting ready to be circumcised. And there's a, an older man, an older saint, who is waiting for the consolation of God and for the coming Messiah. And he saw him. He saw and he picked up Jesus. And he said these words to Mary. Another role reversal he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall, for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Many who thought themselves to be first in the kingdom of God would be last, and some who were considered last would become first. Some claim um, this text that we just read in Luke 6, because it is Beatitudes, isn't it? They claim that this is a different sermon than what was preached by Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I've, I've become more convinced that really this is something that is the same sermon preached, but with different notes that were taken. And I've seen some, some parallelisms where the texts are put side by side, and they're very parallel in many respects. I want to read something to you from um, William Hendrickson. He wrote this. 
In each case, so this is comparing Luke and Matthew, in each case, what has been preserved of this sermon is a summary. Would it not be unrealistic to believe that Jesus spoke less than 50 minutes? Well, we don't know how many minutes he spoke, but he sure didn't speak only 10. Um, Nevertheless, it takes the average reader only seven minutes to read Matthew 5 through 7, verse 27, and about two minutes to read Luke 6, 20 through 49. As long as what we each reported has left us with what was actually said, the main points being accurately reflected, there is no real problem, no real conflict. So you might have a sermon, maybe it was 30, 40, 50 minutes, who knows, but you have it summarized in a, in a, a seven-minute reading versus a two-minute reading. Of course, it's going to look a little different because perhaps uh, what's given in this particular gospel has a particular emphasis that Luke wants to get that wasn't given in maybe the gospel according to Matthew. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that we are to look unto Christ for our true blessedness. We are to look unto Christ for our true blessedness. And we're going to see this in two main points. Hunger, poverty, and the gospel is the first point. The second is weeping and suffering and the gospel in the second point. Let's look at this first main point. Poverty, hunger, and the gospel. Verse 20. Would you say that Jesus is saying here that being poor in and of itself is a blessing when he said, Blessed are you, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. To answer this question, it's going to take a little bit of work. The first part to mention is that who is the audience? For the vast majority of whom Jesus is speaking to, these are those who are seeking the kingdom of God. They've come to Christ because they've heard of his reputation. They've come to Christ to be healed. They've come to Christ because they believed in him that he was sent from God. So those whom he's talking to here are those who are pursuing actively after the kingdom. They were people who were looking for the kingdom of God. So let's just interpret the text this way. If you are a man, a woman, or a child of faith, yet you are poor, you are still blessed. How is that? You have forgiveness of sins. You've been forgiven of a debt you could not pay. You've been forgiven of the penalty. You've been have, you have the penalty of sin paid for through Jesus. Jesus suffered the very pains of hell for you. That is good news. Another blessing is that you have a magnificent inheritance in heaven with even Jesus Christ as your elder brother. And God, the Father of the Lord Jesus, your Father as well through that wonderful spirit of adoption where we may call upon him as Abba Father. We've been given not only an inheritance of heaven, but later on a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Jesus said he has gone to prepare a place for us in his Father's house. We have great blessings, even if we're poor in this life. On the other hand, If there is a person who is poor and does not have faith in Christ, that individual will leave the toils of this life, the trials of this life, the sufferings of this life, into greater sufferings and the pains of hell, where the worm 
is never dies and the fire is never quenched. It's not merely a blessing in and of itself to be poor because even a poor unbeliever perishes eternally. Now, we do need to point out that a fact of the ministry of Jesus is that not only was Jesus poor, but a lot of those who followed him were rather poor. Um, Let's start with John. John grew up, John the Baptist, he grew up and Jesus said he was one of the greatest men who ever lived, according to Matthew 11, 11. But his greatness was not measured by his wealth or what he owned. His greatness was measured by the Spirit of God working in him as a prophet. He wore garments of camel's hair and he lived on locusts and wild honey. I would say John the Baptist was a rather poor fellow. Um, Another uh, passage uh, is concerning Jesus. And we know that Jesus was born of a low estate. He was born and then set in a manger, and, uh, which meant to, was meant to feed cattle. And he was born of a carpenter's son. His earthly father was a carpenter's son. And uh, they had to give a turtle dove for their sacrifice for Jesus when he went before the temple uh, for his, for his uh, circumcision. And that was the offering of a poor family. In uh, Luke, um, actually that should be Luke 9, 58, I believe, he says this, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus is saying here was that basically he was homeless. He really didn't have a, a home to stay in. He basically was traveling from house to house. That was what the ministry of the Lord Jesus was like until he was crucified. Luke 5, uh, he called three fishermen, Simon, Peter, James, and John, who were the three first apostles. Um, After giving them a miraculous, humongous catch, which I believe helped to feed their families, he then called them to serve him. And what did they do? says they left everything and followed him. Now, does the New Testament say that to be a righteous person, you had to be poor? Because some of the apostles were poor. Jesus had no place to lay his head. And because John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey, do we have to be destitute to be righteous and holy? The New Testament gives us two other cases of saints. This is only two of many. There's only uh, two other cases um, that I want to mention today. But in Luke 19, you have the case of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was well-to-do because he took advantage of people. Um, Jesus saw him in the sycamore tree because he couldn't see Jesus because he was short. He got up in the tree to see Jesus, and when Jesus walked by the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must go to your house. So he had a house that could house Jesus and his, his apostles and maybe others. And after Zacchaeus made restitution from those he defrauded, he didn't give away all his wealth, but he made restitution for those he defrauded, Jesus said these words, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. 
Another case in the the, uh, book of Acts is Lydia, Acts chapter 16. Lydia was a wealthy seller of garments of purple, a fabric of purple, um, for royalty. Yet God saved her. Her and her entire household were baptized. And afterwards, Paul and Silas stayed at her house. She insisted that they stay at her house. So you can be someone who has wealth and still be a Christian, according to these cases. But I do believe part of what is being taught in today's text is what is taught in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, that it's being poor in spirit, ultimately, is that what is necessary. We have to not, we have to say before God, God, I don't have everything. I desperately need your grace. I desperately need your forgiveness. I desperately need your Holy Spirit. I'm poor in spirit and poor in understanding. I desperately need your Holy Word. And that leads also to having a thirst for the Word or a hunger after the Word, which we'll look at next. Using similar logic is what was applied to this issue of is it a blessing to be poor in and of itself? You're going to say that it's not necessarily a blessing automatically to suffer hunger or even death by hunger in and of itself. So that's when Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hunger, who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Again, he's speaking to the Christian community. Think about it this way. How many people in pagan religions who hold to pagan religions and pagan lands, suffer extreme hunger and even die of starvation? Are they automatically blessed with eternal life? No. And the answer, I, I believe, is clear, according to 1 John five twelve: He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. There's no salvation by hunger, by suffering hunger. Keep in mind, many... Christians, even in our lifetime, have suffered hunger even to the point of death for the sake of their faith. I went to seminary with a man who was a pastor in Eritrea, and not only uh, him and his family and many of the church were put in metal containers to suffer in the hot African sun to make them want to get dehydrated and starve to then persuade them to recant of their faith, to deny Jesus. Then they would let them out. Places like that, Christians die of starvation for the sake of Christ. But as Jesus promised here, those who die for the sake of Christ, who starve to death for the sake of Christ, immediately pass into glory and they are satisfied in the presence of our God. He says, they shall be satisfied. Let's look next at this weeping and suffering and how it relates to the gospel. It is true that Christians themselves weep, and even Presbyterian Christians weep. Uh, Look at the middle of verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now someone might say, if you really are a strong Calvinist and you really believe in Romans 8.28 that God causes all things to work together for good for those who believe, 
then you really wouldn't weep so much if you were really a strong Calvinist. Maybe you don't trust in Romans 8.28 enough. That's why you're weeping right now, isn't it? Who would talk like that? I think the, the God-man, Jesus, he knew the sovereignty of God better than anyone because he was God. And he knew the triune plan of... Uh, and Jesus himself knew that triune plan of salvation, yet Jesus wept. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, knowing that he's going to raise him from the dead shortly, but he still wept. Jesus wept for the coming crucifixion because he was going to face the wrath of his father. So Jesus himself, the infinitely holy, perfect, sinless son of God, wept. So if Jesus can weep, I think you can weep as well. There are many reasons in this life to weep. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, There are cases where someone would weep for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this kind of fits with what's going to be mentioned later of this being ostracized. A Buddhist, a Muslim, a Hindu, or in some cultures, a Roman Catholic who converts to the Protestant faith will be shunned and considered as if dead by their own family, with their parents never calling them ever again, never wanting to speak to them again, treating them like a total stranger and unbeliever. I would say folks like that weep. And if, if you had to lose your, your parents who raised you for the sake of your faith, you would weep, wouldn't you? If you are a Christian, whatever the reason you have for weeping in this life, you will laugh and rejoice in the life to come. We should be joyful in this life. We should be joyful in this life as Christians. However, the joy that we have through the Holy Spirit, as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it comes and goes. It waxes and wanes. It it rises and falls. But in the glory of heaven, the joy that will be given to the saints in glory will be unending and relentless. It will no longer be intermittent, but it will be unceasing joy. Our text goes on to say that you are blessed if you suffer for Christ's sake. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. He goes on to say in verse uh, 23, Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. He's talking about the Hebrew fathers and how they maltreated the prophets of old. (coughs) So here, suffering for the sake of the Son of Man is what leads to God's blessing. If you suffer for the sins of some wickedness that you're performing, that is not commendable. Think about it. You suffer as a drunkard, or you, su- you suffer as an idolater, or you suffer as, a, as someone who's cheating on the spouse and breaks up their family 
and no longer be, can go home to a, a, a united household because of, uh, because of infidelity. The suffering of this life is a preview, a precursor. It's a little foretelling of what's to come in the future if that person does not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So suffering in this life for sin is not what is commendable, but here it's the suffering for the sake of the Son of Man is what is a blessing. Um, Some believers will hate you. It says here that some will hate you for the sake of God. Um, If you have to witness, I think this is more evident if you have to witness to people. Um, Some people love the darkness and they hate the light. And when you talk to them about the things of the light, they don't want the light shining on them. They don't want the truth because they want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And if you try to ask probing questions about their life, or if you mention the word sin, they're going to... I've had somebody once do this to me. Grit their teeth and clench their teeth because they were so angry because I was talking to them about salvation in Christ. Um, But, you know, that's not always the case. There are times where you talk to someone about the Lord Jesus and their their heart softens. And they say, you know what? I really do need to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do need to repent of my sin. And they, you might find out that they become one of your best friends because they're thankful for you because you told them about the greatest gift of salvation, the greatest thing ever to be told, the greatest news ever to be told. And they become not only a lifelong friend, but they become a friend for all eternity. But you don't know what you're going to get. You witness to one, you're going to get hate. And you witness to the other, you might get some love. But you have to be willing to speak the truth in love, whatever the outcome may be. And yes, some will hate you. Some will love you. Maybe the majority will hate you, but you don't know. Others will ostracize you for your faith, like mentioned before. If you come from a Buddhist family or a Roman Catholic family and you hold to something different, they will not want to talk to you, call you, email you, text you, look at you. Uh, Sometimes you're in school and they walk the other direction. Um, They give you the cold shoulder. Yet still, some will outright insult you and scorn you and scorn your name as evil. And some will even seek to persecute you. But Jesus says, Be glad. Leap for joy. For your reward is great in heaven. Today's text says you cannot please all people. Some who are in Christ will love you. Others who hate God will hate you. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first relationships with those who are in the church, who have a lively faith, an active, lively faith. Develop a love for one another. Jesus promised this in Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children 
or forms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Look unto Jesus Christ for your true blessedness. Hunger for the gospel. Thirst for the gospel. Acknowledge that you have spiritual poverty and you need to be filled by the gospel. But here's the other one. Against this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, yes, it's possible to be blessed of God and still remain poor and not to have the five, six, seven bedroom house and the swimming pool and and three cars and whatever else that you want to name and claim. You can still be poor and be blessed. The material should not be our focus. The eternal should. And I think that's the problem with the health, wealth, and gospel. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The name it and claim it false gospel is that it's a material focus rather than an eternal focus. And a lot of these ministers who preach this stuff don't deal with the most pressing need man has, namely sin. How can we be blessed unless we have forgiveness of sin? Brothers and sisters, unless you have forgiveness of your sins, you are poor and destitute to the point of perishing. You must be rich in God through the gospel. Yes, there will be weeping and suffering in this life. And even Reformed Presbyterians who trust in the sovereignty of God can weep. Weep with those who weep. Comfort those who weep. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us to receive your word and that we would believe that Jesus Christ is truly your Son, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, our personal Savior. Help us to trust that he has died for our sins, that he was raised for our sins, that he was exalted to your right hand for our sins. And help us, we pray, to believe upon him with saving faith. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Denise will play 464, The Beatitudes.